Earlier this year, on a conference call with investors, CloudPeak CEO Colin Marshall shocked those tuned in with a frank admission. As we look forward, it is clear that the dynamics of the coal industry have permanently changed. Continuing, he said that coal will no longer provide, quote, base load power. For Inside Energy, Wyoming Public Radio's Stephanie Joyce explains why that admission was so shocking. Baseload power, simply put, is power that's always on. Historically, it's been coal and nuclear plants running 24 hours a day, seven days a week, supplying electrons to the grid. Baseload power is considered the backbone of the electricity system, a guarantee that the lights will stay on. That's been a major selling point for the coal industry, which has argued that without baseload power, the grid will become unreliable. After all, how could wind and solar keep the lights on when they're so inherently variable? Given that backdrop, let's hear Colin Marshall again. Where coal used to provide baseload generation, it is now much more variable, depending on power demand, renewable output, and the price of natural gas. So the CEO of one of the nation's largest coal companies says he doesn't expect coal to provide baseload power in the future. What does that say about coal's role in keeping the lights on? Is baseload power really necessary? I posed that question to Jesse Morris, a principal in the electricity and transportation practice of the Rocky Mountain Institute, a sustainability think tank. I think the answer is no, at least from my seat. Morris justified his answer with two examples of islands that run largely on renewables with backup diesel generators. In that system, and dozens, maybe hundreds of other microgrids across the world, they're already running without baseload power. So those are some kind of microgrid examples. Now let's talk about the U.S. In the U.S., the concept of baseload power, frankly, doesn't have to do so much with technical requirements or uh, even the market at this stage. It's very much a regulatory decision. Let me summarize Morris's first argument on that front. He says the U.S. grid grew haphazardly and as a result is basically a bunch of isolated islands. If the whole grid were more interconnected, it would be easier for power to flow where it's needed. In the unlikely event that, say, there's no wind in Wyoming, but there's too much solar in California, utilities in those states could buy and sell power from each other, something that's difficult today. Morris's second argument? We're thinking about power supply and demand the wrong way. We've focused on using the supply side of the electricity system to meet fluctuations in demand. If we're looking at a 100% renewable system, we have to flip that, that mindset on its head. We basically have to do everything we can to help demand match up with the renewable supply. So this demand flexibility can provide, be delivered by a number of different things, right? You can send price signals and hopefully people will just change their behavior. You can program your nest to turn on and off at the right time. And so you can make sure your electric hot water heater charges from the grid when there's excess wind or solar production online. But, but suffice it to say, the way to achieve a largely renewable system is to focus on the demand side and encouraging flexibility there versus the supply side, which we've done in the past. Ideas like expanding the grid and introducing more flexibility into when we consume energy are actually already being adopted by the power industry. But Morris acknowledges the idea of entirely doing away with baseload power is still pretty fringe. I don't think it's widely accepted at all. (laughs) Why not? Massive reliability problems, uh, potentially. Um, That is a very real concern and a very very real risk. And I I think that's one of the arguments that um, 
someone would make is that you always have to have some sort of a supply backing that up. And I agree with that. But Morris says that's a solvable problem. There are a lot of different options, and you can make them renewable. Hydrogen is an option. Huge investments in energy storage are an option. Dramatically oversizing your solar or wind resource is another option. But what about if we think of fossil fuels as that option of last resort? So these power plants become our energy storage solution for that one or two weeks a year when we don't have enough of a combination of renewable resources. That combination of solutions struck me as potentially very expensive. So I asked Morris, if we move away from a system with baseload generation from fossil fuels, is it going to be prohibitively expensive? His answer was two-part. He says, generally speaking, modeling by the Rocky Mountain Institute and others show getting to a system that's 60 to 80 percent renewable wouldn't significantly change the overall cost, up or down. But as you move to let's increasing levels of renewable penetration, let's call it 60 to 80 percent renewable penetration, um, if done in the right way and investments made on the demand side, um, it's it's not. I'm being very careful in how I answer this question because I'm I'm dramatically generalizing. But in most of our work that we've done, it's not a dramatically more uh, or less expensive system. It's it's roughly at cost parity with uh, kind of where we are at today. As you move from, I'll use a real number here, 80% to 100%, it's kind of like losing those last few pounds if you're thinking about weight loss for the crude analogy. It gets harder and harder as you get from 80 to 100 percent. And by harder and harder, I mean more expensive. So between reliability concerns and the potential costs, how does Morris make the argument to skeptics that it's possible to ditch baseload power generation while keeping the lights on? Baby steps. In Hawaii, this is obviously a question that they, in a, in a skepticism they had at least 10 years ago. Now you have 20 percent of households with rooftop solar on them and the lights have stayed on. But at a certain point, luckily, there are enough examples now, domestically and internationally, and lessons learned in terms of how to cost-effectively move to a system that uses more renewable energy, that you're not on your own. That was Jesse Morris, a principal in the electricity and transportation practice at the Rocky Mountain Institute, speaking with Wyoming Public Radio's Stephanie Joyce.